The Lonely Office, your playbook for navigating the messy line between work and life. Our topics are sourced from real, anonymous workplace conversations happening within Glassdoor communities. From bosses that hold you back to promotions that you don't even want, we discuss timely work-life issues so you don't have to brave the professional world alone. Matt, Leah, you know what it means, the end of summer. Parents are thrilled. Kids going back to school. (laughs) The end of summer, Labor Day, usually signals a return to normal work schedules. Uh, We're back to it. So the timing for this was actually very perfect for one particular CEO. And he decides to ask all his employees to return in person to regional offices and headquarters on a hybrid basis. Mm -hmm. There was a little bit of pushback. They started enforcing it this August, this September. Mm. The plot thickens. Apparently, one of the original meetings in which the CEO announced this new hybrid schedule, they leaked audio from this meeting. And he said, look, it's really hard to build trust, referring to working remotely. Mm. He also says in the audio, we can't have great conversation because we can't debate each other because everyone tends to be overly friendly when you join a video call. Man, the CEO really hates remote. (laughs) Matt! Great timing, because the irony of this whole thing, the CEO of this company, you're probably wondering, his name is Eric Wan, and the company? Zoom Video Communications. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. Matt, I remember when you posted this. What did you post on LinkedIn? Eat your own dog food or something? Eat your own dog food? Yeah, tell me what that means. I don't actually know what that means. It's a startup mantra, right? So the first thing product founders or anybody building a digital product, they're kind of taught is whatever you're building, whatever you're working on, use it yourself, eat your own dog food. Because before you ship it to a customer or a user, if it's not good enough for yourself, it's not good enough for others. And so the mantra is eat your own dog food. And so it really feels a bit of a paradox of sorts. Man, this CEO really does hate remote, but that's your business model. That's your mission. That's your company mission. I don't think I told you this before we started recording. I'm actually sick. I have a virus. Oh, no. Yeah. But here's the thing, though. I'm the biggest fan of remote in the world, fully remote. But as I'm recording this, I'm thinking, should I even be recording this episode? If I didn't have the option to record remotely, would I just be in bed watching reruns of Price is Right? (laughs) Yeah. It's funny. There's new rules being written. I think everybody can resonate with this, where I myself have found I'm not feeling good. In a typical scenario, would I have to do that 30-minute commute in a subway or a car? I'd call it in. But in a scenario where I'm literally crawling out of bed and just jumping onto the laptop, sometimes even in bed, yes, I can be productive. And so the threshold of sickness has changed. I had some meetings that I led where I was not at my best, where I should have just stepped away and been like, guys, I can't, I can't do this meeting. We've got to reschedule. But I was like, oh, let's keep it on the calendar. We're all prepared. Afterward, people were like, uh, <laughs> that was not your best. That was not great. And it's definitely because I was up and I had COVID. I was sick. Right. To be fair, I don't think Aaron is profusely sweating right now. And- I am actually am. I am sweating pretty bad. <laughs> yeah. Remote work is great because of the convenience. If I'm sick, I don't have to commute. But listen, Monday, when I started getting that onset and I had that constant fever, 103, man, I'm checking emails in my bed. Back in the day when we didn't have a Zoom or other products like that, you had these assholes coming into the office sick. (laughs) I was totally one of those assholes. Are you? Yes. I would just take DayQuil 
and they get, at least get you through uh, to like lunchtime. <laughs> that was something that always drove me nuts. Just stay home. Yeah. But at the time, you didn't have the flexibility to remote in. Okay, look, I think back to the story, Eric Wan, Zoom, maybe unintentionally because it was leaked audio implicating his own product, which is supposed to serve as a digital bridge for effective, productive communication. The question really is, what's going to happen? It's kind of like a storyline that's playing out, a dramatic alien thriller. Are they going to attack or not? Except here the attack is, are employers going to force our hands or not? And we've had indications from the Amazons and the Metas and the Googles of the world. You better come in or we're going to fire you. It all kind of culminates now with the post-Labor Day weekend return from summer. And the question is, if we're not going to physically return to the office in some form, what is the option? And I found this pretty humorous picture floating around. I think it was pulled from a Meta deck on VR back a year ago or so. Where did you get this picture? Because this is the most, I'm looking at this right now for anyone, I got to describe it. What is the picture? It's just this lady with like a VR mask on. Oh, yeah. (laughs) It's almost as if she's involved in some sort of performance art. Everyone looks stupid when they're doing VR, though. Right. That's one thing I know for sure. Is that what we have to look forward to, though, Matt? Absent of coming back to the office? I kind of found it as a forewarning of sorts. But the truth (laughs) is, I think employers and employees both like to illustrate the choice in stark binary terms. The reality is hybrid in some form of it has started to occur. I know we're going to talk about examples of that. However you look at it, 100 million knowledge professionals in the U.S., something like 20% of them already in some form of remote. If you were expecting a mass return to office after Labor Day weekend, hopefully you didn't hold your breath because it didn't happen. And the saga of return to office or not continues. How much of a hard line should CEOs take from this point on? I mean, I'm pretty skeptical. I don't think most companies who have had a remote work policy and have been hybrid are going to go back to full time. This might be a minority opinion. If CEOs aren't taking a hard line, people are going to walk all over the policy. Hmm. I think it has to be fairly strict or people just aren't going to come in. I don't want to name the company, but I do have a friend. Apparently, someone was caught just scanning their pass in, turning around and leaving again. Mm. And I guess security ratted them out and the woman was fired. I also saw an article though, and I don't have it in front of me, that managers are horrible about obeying the hybrid return to work schedule, which makes it harder to enforce if you see your supervisors working remotely from whatever, Saint-Tropez. Lead by example. Yeah. I assume this was some advertising agency or maybe a marketing firm. It was actually a bank. Okay. You don't want to out the bank. Meta has gone on record of introducing an in-person time policy, which I think was effective of just the 5th of September, in which their employees must swipe their cards and those card swipes are being tracked. If you're not swiping, it could lead to disciplinary action. You're literally like a manufacturing worker clocking in with this in-person time policy. Obviously, I like the flexibility of remote work. It's amazing when you're a parent. Having a sick child is a great time to be working remotely as opposed to, Aaron, when you're sick yourself. Both of you have articulated, I don't think we're ever going to get to a point where this isn't hybrid. It seems we're heading in that direction. As you said, that sort of storyline, Matt, that's playing out is the sort of toggling the push and pull to get us to where we're in the middle. 
to me, the card swipe seems very science fiction. It seems very Soylent Green. It's people. It's people. <laughs> that seems a little bit like a power play of control. Let's say the company policy was officially come in two, three days a week. We're going to track you via card swipes and lobby. And if you don't, you're fired. Let's say that was the company policy. Yet the junior employee here notes that their managers, their directors, their VPs are zooming it in from their houses in the suburbs. Can you ultimately really act on that policy? Talk about hypocrisy. I mean, I don't think a company's culture can survive if they act on that. So how much of this is not an issue of company policy and really just an issue of lead by example? And the truth is VPs or directors and above have no desire to go back full-time or perhaps even hybrid in some cases. It does feel like you're penalizing people who are able to get their work done at home, who are doing a great job. Everyone was really in it in 2020. We were all going above and beyond remotely and trying not to lose our jobs. And then there came a point where everyone just burned out and some people started doing the... Uh, bare minimum Monday? Bare minimum Monday. Bare minimum Mondays. <laughs> I'm going to go on a limb here and say that I think most knowledge workers are fairly empathetic of the dilemma of their employers, which is, hey, they are paying my salary. There needs to be some level of standards and productivity. Equally, they're also skeptical of the need to go five days. And so back to your point, Aaron, it's a push and pull. And really what we've been waiting for these last two and a half years ever since the pandemic is what's the final state? We thought the United Auto Workers and the SAG negotiations were going along. This has been going on for three years. Most workers are honest. They just want to know where this is going to end. So let's bring up Jam Smucker's company, the company I didn't know was based in Orville, Ohio. Orville, is that Ohio, right? Orville? Yeah. As I was miming spreading jelly on some bread. <laughs> so they have this policy that apparently is working because they got a big feature in Wall Street Journal and Twitter discussion around this is this 22 core weeks a year policy where they let their employees know that here are 22 weeks a year where mandatory, you have to be on site. I think in this case, they mean headquarters, their HQ mm. and in Orville, but you have to be on site. I don't know if they're consecutive or they're chunks like four weeks and four weeks, but they're very clearly articulated. And I think that's the key. They're telling the employee as clearly as their PTO policy, hey, this is our in-person work policy. That's if right. you don't live there, that's fine. But find an Airbnb for the weeks that those core weeks are here, get your asses in office and then fly back to Austin or Dallas or Miami or wherever you've relocated the last two years. And it seems to be working, right? It seems that very clear transparency and a bit of a compromise, right? 22 weeks a year works. It's a very concise, straightforward policy. I feel like a lot of companies are flip-flopping. They're very wishy-washy. Right. They're saying one thing and then they're like, oh, we don't want to upset anyone too much. So it seems like we're kind of coalescing agreeing on the fact that it's probably in the interest of the companies just to move forward sooner rather than later on a clearly articulated policy, trial it, and then adjust versus this hostage game where it's, hey, we're not going to force or we are going to force. There's got to be a CEO out there who is all in on the remote. For the person who has a preference, a CEO who has a preference of going fully remote, what would it be like to run a company to be a CEO of a fully remote company? My gut tells me here that if you were to do a survey of CEOs for mid-sized to large-sized corporations, it was anonymous survey. Nine out of 10 would say they want all their employees back into the office five days a week. Nine out Why? of 10? I, I really feel that way because yeah. for a CEO, getting them into office is almost a shortcut 
to culture or a shortcut to indoctrination or whatever you want to call it. And that's what you see on record, the Andy Jassies of the world. I mean, just speaking about it, this current CEO of Amazon is on record saying, it's probably not going to work out for you at Amazon if you don't comply with our new rule, because we are going back to the office at least three days a week. That's wow. him kind of going on record now saying, yeah, you're going to get fired. Yeah. I think if you're CEO, your hidden desire is actually to get everybody back, but you're also recognizing that's an impossibility now and you're preparing yourself or you've already prepared yourself for this hybrid future two, three days a week. So when you shifted to hybrid as the company was growing or fully remote, how did you keep checking in on all of your different employees and teams? Because I would think that would take up so much of your time. You can't just do like a five-minute check-in really over a Zoom call. It's almost rude. Well, at the size of 50 or even 100 employees, it's still feasible that you have a one-morning Stand up for the whole company, right? And I think that's the chi of sorts. And so we maintained the morning stand up that could be a 20, 30 minute stand up well into 50 employees. I do think size matters here. At some size, that's just not going to work. You end up trying to promote people who are kind of cultural leaders in certain regions who can play that role that you're supposed to play or that your COO is supposed to play. Yeah. Repeat that pattern for the next city or the next location. The CEO role seems to be complicated enough. It's a deeper challenge. What about something that's more project-centric? I know in marketing and advertising, could you do it and enjoy doing it and have it be efficient running in a campaign fully remote? I've done all the ways, fully in-person, fully remote, and hybrid. I mean, when you're launching an ad campaign, you kind of have warring factions is one way to look. The client's opinion is often going to butt heads with the creative's opinions. And then I was in the middle of that. So if you don't have a working relationship with the creative team where they trust you and know that you're on their side and don't automatically dismiss everything that you say, it's very difficult to get a good campaign off the ground that everyone is happy with. It's easier to build those relationships in person, but I mean, it's also possible to build them over Zoom. What's your preference? Oof. My working preference is definitely some sort of hybrid and being able at some point to meet the people that I work with in person. I don't think I have to be there with them all the time, every day. I would like to meet you guys in person at some point. Yeah. Just side note. You know what I mean? There's still a weirdness to feeling like you really know someone, but never having sat in the same room with them. Matt, we developed this podcast fully remote. Right. This whole show, we could have fast-tracked it. It would have been better or worse if we had in person. I'm going to be honest with you. When I'm required to come in and meet people, it's harder for me to get out of bed. The fact that I can come downstairs, jump on a call, we can work through something. It's nimble. It's quicker. The commitment is less without the commute. I don't have to put as much cologne on. How much cologne? So much cologne. (laughs) If all three of us lived in the same city and we were able to do that bi-weekly or weekly check-in just to see each other, I absolutely think it would help, 100%. It would have accelerated the chemistry. If you're a listener, you're like, yeah, we're on episode 12. You guys started diving. (laughs) I think we should distinguish between if you're an employee, a full-time employee, and you're not moonlighting on projects, you're not building different businesses. I think if you're an entrepreneur and you're not employed with one firm, but you're working at any number of projects at a time... What I like about the remote is you get more shots at goal. So that's to say, I honestly don't know if we were in a non-remote world, 
whether this show would even have launched. Because I think the initial instinct for the show was like, hey, this is another shot on goal. The remote has opened up all this time. I think if you're an entrepreneur in the early company formation or early stages of creating the idea, that really increases the odds. You could just have more shots at goal and find what works, but then you do have to call the list at some point and then hyper-focus on the few that are working. Let's go back to the list here for a second. So we talk about CEO, we talk about like a campaign manager, podcasters, we talked about that. There are certain roles like insurance underwriter or auditors or contract lawyers. There's literally zero reason for these folks to be five days a week in the office. My understanding, there's still some auditors for some big four accounting firms that are mandated there. And that just blows my mind. Does it not feel to both of you that we're in this sort of discovery phase still of what a CEO must be doing, thinking, okay, what positions require it, what don't? Yeah. But you both said, doesn't a hard line mean a hard line for everybody? Wait a second. How come underwriter gets to chill in the Bahamas and I'm here in Secaucus? <laughs> there were always exceptions. I know I've worked with, say, proofreaders. I mean, those guys were always allowed to work remotely because there doesn't have to be a lot of bonding with your proofreader. I love proofreaders. I just want to <laughs> sign up. Initially, in this return to office, there has to be a symbolic move by the senior brass. And senior brass here is it's called director VP, where to start, there's a parade of VPs coming back into the office and the juniors see it. And then this enforcement can finally happen. And it's going to be a largely symbolic move to start. I think once that happens, then you can transition into this more sustainable hybrid model, which I think does end up becoming a bit more custom, where it is employee-centric. There are certain folks who can thrive in a remote setting where they don't need as much in-person guidance. Yeah. And if you're one of those and you're an overachiever and you outperform and you're hitting all your performance goals, then it should be treated as a privilege to perhaps go from a two to three day mandatory work week to one. And I think we'll get there. It's not going to happen out of the gate, but ultimately the steady state probably should and will play into a more custom approach. There's a wild card here that I think we may have alluded to a couple of times in previous episodes. I remember the last agency before I went out on my own, they built like four giant office buildings, mm. literally weeks before COVID. And so the grand opening, they literally were cutting the ribbon da, 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 in February, March, right where everything shut down. So for almost a year, these buildings were completely empty. And this is the wild card I'm talking about of what's actually pushing or playing a factor. There is some logic here that you can piece together here, okay? And just to back it up so that we don't come off as... Conspiratorial? Tinfoil <laughs> wackos. Yeah, but Matt, that's what you do. I come in, you straighten it out a little bit, and that's where we're in the middle. With our tinfoil hats. That's right. Okay, so there's a McKinsey study that came out recently. It was covered maybe a month ago or so. Even in a hybrid steady state, so we're assuming that people come back into the office, but not full-time, that they estimate around $800 billion of office property will just be wiped out by the end of this decade. Almost a trillion dollars being wiped out. That's in a steady-state hybrid, pretty much where we're likely going to end up. And so if you take that into account for a second, it's already kind of well-covered in the news right now. There's a recent article in Journal they call the Real Estate Doom Loop, specifically speaking about commercial real estate here, not residential. So we're not talking about the the big short kind of home real estate market. We're talking about the commercial real estate market, the market that owns commercial office buildings. And if you follow the trail here, who owns 
the office buildings outright, or maybe via financial products and derivatives, you can make the argument that maybe it's not your boss that's pushing you back to the office as much as it's the banks, hedge funds, even private debt funds. It could be REITs or bond investors that want you back in the office because absent you coming back into the office, the value of these commercial office buildings continue to plummet. And that's a real problem right now. You know, Leia was saying she didn't say the bank, but it was a bank that got the swipe cards. <laughs> They're setting the tone. Come in. They're tracking you. Well, it's hard to feel sorry for all of the people that Matt just listed. <laughs> but I will say, in San Francisco, where I live, downtown is dead. And that has had a huge ripple effect. Stores have closed. Restaurants have closed. The vibes are off. No, it's, no but it is really sad. People don't go downtown anymore for work, and so they're not going downtown for other things. So on that swipe, the analytics firm called Castle surveyed 41,000 businesses in the U.S. since July 23, comparing to pre-pandemic, and around 50% of the average workplace occupancy. It's not just the companies, right? There's other interested parties, particularly those that have ownership in some of these commercial office buildings that want to see in the office. Matt, you said that a lot of these buildings were purchased in 2021. Was it 2021? 2021 was the peak in valuation across markets, real estate markets and stock markets. And so the loans that were taken out in these commercial office buildings were based on really high valuations that now have seen them come down uh, okay. 50, 75%. And that's a problem when you're a bank. Yeah, WeWork is going through a process right now where they're renegotiating leases with every, and the only reason they can is because if WeWork goes bankrupt, a lot of these owners of these commercial office buildings need to basically close shop and then the banks lose and it's a nasty cascade. So the purpose of this show is not to go into the economics of that, but just to show that there are other parties here that would like to see office culture or physical attendance at office culture thrive again. I think this may be a good time to say and reiterate what I think everybody knows who's listening, but I think it's important to say when we talk about The Lonely Office as a podcast, as a voice for this, this topic keeps coming up. It's not coming up because we just want it to come up. It's coming up because we are in the middle of something historic. No one could have ever anticipated, I mean, to this degree, that our entire lifestyle from going downtown to work style, we could never have anticipated the advent of The Lonely Office. Right, And that's why I think it's so important to keep tapping into and why I know people who are listening are going, yeah, because we're feeling this paradigm shift every single day. And think about all of those buildings. Think about the structures we've entered every single day of most of our lives. Even in a when we go full circle in a hybrid, that's not what it was designed for. There's a lot of people who have a lot of interest, and it's changing the way that we go about everything. Well said. I think it's a sociological phenomenon at the very least with huge economic impact and import. Not to plug this, but I got asked to do a TEDx talk on this exact topic. You kind of inspired me just to mention, I normally wouldn't plug it. (laughs) (laughs) You're kind of too humble to do the traditional plug. So let me be the person to have no tact. Let me ask you though, because I haven't seen it. I've been asking to see it for a long time. Where can I find it? Is it a TED talk? Yeah, it's TEDx talk to be fair. But yeah, I just dropped a few days ago on their TEDx YouTube page. Awesome. And you can just search for, I think it's fishbowl or return to office is the topic. Is, is return to office vital for our survival? More of a sociological journey of how 
office culture used to be and what it is now. And I base it upon both my experiences and experiences of, based on conversations from Fishbowl and Glassdoor. Hey, you made it. Thanks for tuning in to The Lonely Office. If you like what you heard, follow us on all major podcast platforms so you don't miss an episode. And make sure and tap five stars and leave a review. I know everyone says it, but it actually helps others like you discover the show. Remember, the topics you hear us talk about on the show are sourced from Glassdoor communities, where professionals are having candid conversations about their careers anonymously with others in their industry. To be part of that conversation, download the Glassdoor app. And when you're in the app, make sure and join the Lonely Office Bowl. That's where we are. When you're there, you can suggest a topic idea or an episode idea, or you can make it more formal and email us at thelonelyoffice at glassdoor.com. We'll catch you next time. 